Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, children, you are dismissed to get a little worship at this time. There's the race. That's always fun to watch. Um, you know, I was thinking, uh, as, as I was um, down there singing, I was thinking how confusing, um, or how confused I can get in today's world with all the different ideologies out there and the things being shared and the different variants and the different um, instructions that we receive from all, all places. And even within the church, um, it seems like at times uh, people are trying to figure out what, what we need to share as if we need to create some new message. And um, I was just really encouraged as I read through this passage this week. Um, though we are not apostles, our church is built on the foundation of the apostles' doctrine. And, and, and there's nothing new that we're to teach. Um, we continue to, to share this message. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you all this morning. But we're going to continue our sermon, uh, sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And, and we're in this broad section of Luke's Gospel, which was, his Galilean, uh, which was Jesus' Galilean ministry. He's ministering there in, 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 the, in Galilee and the surrounding areas. And we see in chapter 6... Um, Richard's preached through the last couple of weeks, we've seen this narrow focus on what a lot of commentators call um, life in the new age, because Jesus is ushering in this kingdom of God. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've seen certain aspects of the Mosaic Covenant, um, namely fasting and the Sabbath, how we view those things in light of the coming of Jesus, and we know at the end of the passage uh, that, that Richard preached last week, in chapter 6, verse 11, we know that Jesus' teaching on these matters has caused the religious leaders to get stirred up. It says in, in chapter 6, verse 11, it says that the scribes and the Pharisees were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So things were getting heated. And that brings us to our passage today. That's the context of our passage today. So we're going to look at what Jesus, Jesus knowing what was coming his way, he must appoint, and he must appoint his apostles to carry out the mission after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. He knew what was coming, and so he's going to appoint his apostles, and that's what we're going to look at today. So let's look in, in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It says, in these days, Jesus, or he, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. 
And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> um, dear Lord, we need your help this morning. Um, we come in with distracted hearts. Lord, we come in with many cares and concerns that are going on in our lives, Lord, and we need to be recalibrated by your truth, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Teach us this morning. Show us your glory, Christ, and conform us into your image. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so we're in this passage uh, where Jesus is calling his 12 apostles. And we know before this, Jesus has already had the showdown with Satan in the wilderness, and he's proving himself to be the last Adam that, that passes the test in the wilderness, and he's proving himself to be true and obedient Israel. You know, he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he did not succumb to temptation. He was obedient, where Israel and all those before them and after them had failed. He had been cast out of his, out of his hometown. Um, that they, they claimed that he was possessed by demons, and yet he goes around casting out demons. He goes about preaching the good news of the kingdom. And then he called some disciples to himself, those that would follow him, and he would make them into fishers of men. And so in all of this, we see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. We see the dawning of a new age. And, but we know, as we found out at the end of or, uh, verse 11 of chapter 6, that in this lifetime, the present evil age, there's always going to be tension and opposition to the kingdom of God. So what do we see Jesus do in light of that tension, in light of what he knows is coming his way? And first we see Jesus spends time in prayer. In the, in the first verse there, in verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And this is one thing that I love about Luke's gospel because we get a glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus. You see quite an emphasis on his prayer. He's either teaching pray, on prayer or he's in the action of praying. It's one thing that you see throughout this gospel account. And, and one other thing that you see is he specifically prays at major points in his ministry. It's not the only time he prays for sure, but specifically we see him praying at major points in his ministry. Here we see Jesus, the Son of God, a member of the triune Godhead, praying to the Father through the Spirit. And this event of choosing the 12 apostles was so important that he spent all night on the mountain praying to God. All night. So no doubt he's praying for strength and and uh, wisdom in his humanity. But I believe he's also praying, calling out to Yahweh to come through on his covenant promises. Gary Millar said, Jesus in his prayer life was affirming the Old Testament understanding of prayer. 
calling out to Yahweh to come through on his covenant promises. So prayer is not simply a general expression of dependence on God. It is that, but it's not simply a general expression of dependence on God. To pray is to call on God to advance his agenda and to deliver on his promises. And we see that when Jesus teaches on the Lord prayer, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, so that though prayer is not the main point of this passage, I think we can draw some encouragement from this. Through Christ, you and I have access to the Father, just like Jesus did, because of what he's done on our behalf. We have access to the Father. And now we're not told to go out and choose 12 apostles, so we can't read ourselves into the, into the story here. We're not told to do that. But we are told in the book of James to ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to us. We're told that we have not because we ask not, and we ask and don't receive because we ask wrongly to spend it on our own pleasures. And so we see this great encouragement to pray. Jesus teaches us a structure of prayer in the Lord's Prayer, and he also teaches his disciples to pray that God would send out laborers for the harvest. It says, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. He's praying that God would fulfill his covenant promises and that he would raise up laborers for the harvest to send them out. And I think if, like, if we could only get a glimpse of like, how much Jesus loves us and cares for us and delights for us to pray, that we would spend more time in prayer. That, I was very encouraged um, this, this past weekend, though I was tired. Victory Ranch, uh, Brian Sorgenfry taught on, on prayer. And it was very encouraging. I wish they had it recorded. Uh, I, can't, I can't recite it all verbatim. But, I mean, the main thing was is knowing like we, we all stumble and fall in many ways, especially in our prayer life. Don't let that stop you. Like God delights in your prayer. He wants you to commune with him. He's not mad because we've, we've failed and struggled in prayer. The Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. And so may that be an encouragement to us all. We see Jesus here praying before this major event in his ministry. So back to the passage. How would his prayer in this moment be tied into the covenant promises of God? And I think we see it in his choosing of the twelve. So why 12? Think about this. Why, why this number 12? You know in the scriptures that numbers at times have special meaning, like seven or multiples of seven have this special meaning, this idea of completion or perfection. But you don't want to take numerology too far and become kind of eccentric and crazy and have all, you know, too many charts and trying to add and subtract. I used to do that with the Bible. If I saw a bunch of numbers, I was adding, subtracting, and trying to figure out why these numbers were there. But um, that's not the case with all the numbers you find in the Bible. But I think here specifically, this 12 is very important. And think about it. What, what, do, what do we know about this number? Where else do we see it come up? It has great significance. Jesus is going to the mountain and praying. And this is symbolic of Moses meeting on the mount with God on behalf of the 12 tribes of Israel. Dr. Glad, Dr. Ben Glad said that the choosing of the 12 apostles is a symbolizing of the, the restoration of end time Israel. And what begins here on a mountaintop in Galilee would reach the ends of the earth in a couple decades. 
I mean, remember that the Old Testament, uh, that Old Testament Israel had failed to fulfill the covenant obligations. You know, they were to go in and inherit the promised land, and they were to cast out um, the, the, the nations that were worshiping idols, but they didn't do that. They failed to go in and cast out the people, and, and, and they ended up becoming idolaters, and they were enslaved. And this is after God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. But they failed to drive out the nations, and they participated in idol worship, and it ultimately led to a division of the kingdom and to the destruction of the temple. And even when the temple was rebuilt, things would never get back to normal. So you see Israel kind of in shambles, right? So what about the promises that they would be a light unto the nations, and that the knowledge of God would cover the earth? Where's that promised mediator like Moses who would defend and lead his people? And we insert Jesus. You know, remember that Jesus had begun his binding of Satan in the wilderness. And here he is, the obedient son. He has the authority to choose his 12 apostles as the restored tribes of Israel to help bring the promises of God to fruition. And so now we know why there were 12, but let's look at who they are. I mean, you, surely you think if, if there's going to be this great task, you're going to send these 12 apostles out into the world to preach the kingdom and to heal, that you would get some all-star group like the Avengers or the Justice League or something like that. A group of men uh, that, that had staggering eloquence and rock-solid faithfulness. But no. Remember, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, he reminded the Christians to consider their calling. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of, a, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And is this not so with these 12 that were chosen? I mean, you think about it, four fishermen, uneducated fishermen, a tax collector, a Jewish nationalist or zealot, a traitor, and then the five other guys, you know? Like, I mean, a couple of them are mentioned later on in Acts, but I mean, who's Bartholomew? Like, so these are the guys that he chose to be his apostles, and I think there's some instruction here for us. I mean, one thing that I wanted to, this is kind of a side road, but one thing I wanted to touch on is today there are no present day apostles. There are people who claim to be apostles, um, they might have it on their church sign, apostle. Um, and this is where we need to be careful when we read a concordance because we can see a word in there and it's, apostle means sent one and we think, well, oh, I'm an apostle because I'm a sent one. And well, in that sense, sure. But not in the sense what, what Jesus was doing here. He was, he was calling these people to a special office. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that the qualifications for this office were someone who had to be around in the days of Jesus' baptism. They had to be witnesses of the resurrection. 
We know that Paul was an apostle, but he was not one of the 12. There were some other people who were called apostle, Paul being one. And they, they, were, they, they had a divine appointment from God, but they were not one of the 12. But still, that they had to meet that criteria. And there are many out here today who claim to be apostles and, and to speak on God's behalf as an apostle. And I just want to warn you, uh, one, if you're doing that, stop. And two, um, beware if someone comes up to you and tells you they're an apostle and they have a word from God. Because if, they're, if, they, if they saw Jesus' resurrection in the flesh, we, we, we want to get these people um, in front of the camera. They're, they're pretty old. Um, all right, two. So not only are there no apostles today, two, God uses broken instruments to carry about his mission to bring about his kingdom on this earth. I mean, think of the people. Richard's already preached through a couple of the calling of the disciples, and we got to look at their lives. But think about Peter, the, the king of vacillating. Like, he's one minute he's gung-ho for the kingdom, gung-ho for Jesus. Jesus, I'll die for you. And the next minute he's at a campfire, trembling in front of a little girl, saying he doesn't know Jesus, and runs off. And then you think of Thomas. What a nickname, Doubting Thomas. Like that, that's, that's not good. And I think the, these, these people being included here to me are a great testimony to the validity of the scriptures because why on earth would you keep these people in it if these are your guys? Doubting Thomas. I won't believe Jesus has risen until I can see his scars and touch his side. Jesus comes in and lets him do it. Then you think of Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot, this, this Jewish nationalist. You had one, one person who's one of the most despised people in all of Israel because he was an Israelite who's working for the Roman government to collect taxes. And then you had this other person who uh, was this, was this uh, Jewish nationalist, this zealot who hated Rome. It sounds a lot like what we see today with our political parties. Um, you have this, this picture of these two people from completely different sides of the spectrum coming together for one purpose, like Republicans and Democrats coming together for a common purpose. Rebels and bulldogs worshiping alongside one another. You know, the message of Christ is not a political message, and no particular political party has the gospel message. We see that here. These two men brought together for one purpose. Sure, what we believe will affect how we vote and how we act in this world, but, but it's not about what political party we belong to or what side we're on. Do we follow Jesus? Have we believed his message? And then you look at Judas, and I think there's a sober warning in here for the appointment of Judas. You know, I know we know it's, it's easy in the Presbyterian world when we think of God's sovereignty and fulfillment of prophecy to just view everybody as mechanical and like, oh, well, Judas, I mean, it was prophesied that he was going to forsake him. But we cannot lose the fact that Judas was a man that had ears. He heard Jesus' teaching. He was around Jesus and saw him live. He's not a robot. He was not a puppet on a string. But he chose to betray Jesus for the love of money and the praise of men. And this should warn us that proximity to Jesus and the church no more makes us a Christian than me standing in a hospital makes me a doctor. I'm not one. Now some of y'all are, but 
I'm not. And so I can't just, you know, proximity to Jesus does not make us a Christian. Sure, it opens us up to the blessings of the covenant. We get to hear the preaching of the word. If we're not partaking in the sacraments, we at least get to observe them, watch them go down. But beware if that's what you come in and do all the time is just watch this and listen to this, but yet you have not put your faith in Christ. Don't reject Jesus. Embrace him by faith as he's freely offered to you in the gospel and receive and rest on him and his finished work on your behalf. And then what about the other guys? Some of which, like I said, you, you read about him in Acts. I mean, you read about Philip who shares the gospel with that, the Ethiopian eunuch and the Ethiopian comes to faith in Christ. But some of these other names, we never really read about them again. And I think this is very important because in our day and age, all we do, and especially I'm, I think of as a pastor with the platforms that people have is want to make a big name for ourselves. And right here, we see that that's not the important thing. The important thing is not, not making a great name for myself or ourselves. What is, what is important is the message that we preach to the world and the way that we embody that to the world. Ever so imperfectly, but nevertheless, the way we embody it to the world. So think about this. You know, we've just heard of some of these people who were called to be apostles. And think about, do you struggle? Do you vacillate? Do you go between opinions? Are you on fire for Christ one week and the next week not so much? One week you've knocked it out on your reading plan and the next week you don't even remember when the last time you read uh, took place. One minute, you, you, you don't even know if you're saved. You doubt your salvation. Do you wrestle with doubts? Have you been knocked down by trials in this life and, and you doubt God's love for you or you doubt that it's all real? You're not the first person to do that. The Lord uses imperfect disciples and imperfect apostles to spread the message of His perfect Son. The son that laid his life down for his friends, his friends that all ran off after the crucifixion and tucked tail and ran. And after, his restoration, after their restoration, we thank the Lord that they went out and carried on with the mission. But nevertheless, Jesus died for imperfect people, sinners, his enemies. And so may that encourage you. Don't get down because, because you're struggling. We all struggle in this walk. Look to Christ. And this is where we'll close. What was the mission of the 12? We see the 12, the, the, uh, the, the reason that there were 12, and we see a little bit about who they were, but what was their mission? And we see it in verses 17 through 19. You see Jesus come down on a level plane with the 12 and the other disciples. And it says that there was a multitude of people that were coming to hear him and be healed. As far as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, so it's not just Judea, now it's people up in Tyre and Sidon, up in the north, which was actually, would have been a land of a lot of Gentiles. They're hearing about what Jesus is teaching, and they're hearing about what he's doing, and they came down. Jesus was like a magnet. They want to, they want to see him. They want to hear him. They want to touch his garments. So they came to hear him and be healed. And he continued to cast out demons and people wanted to touch him for great power came out from him to heal. And this is exactly what he was going to send these 12 apostles 
out in the world to do. To preach this message of the coming of the kingdom, to cast out demons, and to heal. And you see in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, um, which is the parallel passage to this, the calling of the apostles, it says that he chose the twelve so that they might be with him and observe his ways, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And Dr. Glad said, in this we see, since Jesus is the divine Son of God and the true and faithful Israel, who has begun to vanquish the devil and redeem all of creation, he has the authority to pass on this, he has the authority to pass this authority on to his disciples and his apostles. The success of these apostles is inseparately fused with the success of Jesus. His victory is their victory. And that's what we see in salvation too. Jesus Christ and his victory on the cross, if you receive him by faith, his victory is your victory. Praise the Lord. So what do we see take place throughout the scriptures? And, and, and we'll, get, we'll get into it as, as we continue to preach through Luke. But what do we see take place? If we want to take a big, big uh, shot of what we see take place through the rest of the scriptures. Apart from Judas, apart from Judas Iscariot, we see God working in extraordinary ways through these ordinary men. And you get, you get a glimpse of this work in the Gospels, um, but also in the book of Acts. And I would encourage you, read, as you're reading Luke, or when you finish reading through Luke, read Acts. It's like part two of the, of the story. Luke, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And so you read through Acts, and you see the Acts of the Apostles. These men were to be the Lord's witnesses to the ends of, ends of the earth. And throughout Acts, we see many miracles done at their hands. And most importantly, we read of them preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You read of these men turning the world upside down, as some, as some say in, in Acts, the religious leaders of the day. They say these men are turning the world upside down. You see them going out, preaching Christ, calling on people to repent and believe the gospel for there was a day coming when Christ Jesus will judge the earth in righteousness. And then you see this great persecution arise from the Jews and the Romans who are rejecting Jesus, but the persecution only fueled the church to grow. And so we see this new age community of God. You see them in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4 grow from about 120 to 5,000. The kingdom is spreading in Jerusalem and eventually throughout the whole Roman Empire. And this was all an answer to Jesus' prayers. Prayers that he prayed here in Luke 6 to bring, about his, to bring about the Lord's kingdom on this earth. The New Testament church, true restored Israel, is a people devoted to the apostles' teaching to the sacraments, and to prayer, just as it says in Acts chapter 2. The church was praying for God to give them boldness as they went out and shared the gospel in the midst of persecution. And God was continually adding to the numbers those who believed, men, women, and children, coming to faith in Christ. And here we are in Greenwood, Mississippi, Thousands of miles away from where the movement started. You know, and, I, and this is, I thought about this 
Elvin, I, I, I didn't see him here, but Elvin is from India, and he actually grew up in the church that was supposedly planted by the Apostle Thomas, Doubting Thomas, in India. They, you know, it's not proven, but, but you have historical documentation that says Thomas went to India, preached the gospel, planted a church, and was martyred in India. And you have a man that goes to church with us, our brother in Christ, who was in a church that was planted by, by one of these apostles. And even if we don't have that story, we're here. Like, we're here because the message continued to go out. People, men and women and children shared the message of the gospel, and it comes to Greenwood, Mississippi. It did not originate here. I mean, that's unbelievable. You think about all the other movements in this world, all the other things, nothing has spread like Christianity. Nothing has spread like the gospel. And it's because Christ Jesus is the one who has all authority. And he told us, as we go about into the world, share the gospel, make disciples of all nations. And that's what they were doing. And it spread to us. So, we need to thank God for the men and women that shared the truth of the gospel and embodied its message. You know, it was about all about everybody getting to Israel and everybody getting to this central location and worshiping God in Jerusalem. And then you have everybody come to Jerusalem and when the Holy Spirit falls, it goes out. And now it's come here. And now we no longer worship God in the temple for Jesus is the true temple and we ourselves are temples of the Holy Spirit. God is building his church brick by brick. Yeah, we're the bricks and Jesus is the cornerstone. Because of Jesus' work on our behalf, we can pray to God and be heard. And not only be heard, but our prayers accomplish something. And no, we're not the apostles, but we do have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and we carry about the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for the nations. And so praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Um, Lord, thank you for your power um, to save, to call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You have made us um, priests in this new kingdom. And so, Lord, may we go about sharing, sharing your excellencies with a dying world. We go proclaim your excellencies to this dying world around us, Lord, and give us the grace. Help us to, to live out, to live in a life, man, uh, in, a, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, Lord, we need your help as we go out. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.